0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Broadcasting live on the Mixed Radio Network, you're listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Casey, the floor is yours.
2: Alright, how you doing everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from all walks. Sometimes they ain't so indie, but uh, you know we've had a good collection of people on here. Uh, I like to say, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there all the time. My Twitter handle is at CuttingRoomMRB. Uh, or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cutting room MRB with uh, a little bit more content and I post uh, a lot of stuff that I find funny on there. That's where you get to see my twisted sense of humor come out. A uh, quick little thank you at the top of the show, as we always do, to, uh, first of all, to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer. You can listen to him and his dear wife, Susan, on the Life and the More podcast every Friday night right here on the Mixed Radio Network from 8 o'clock until midnight. Uh, and to Michael Cardello, who wrote that snazzy little number for me uh, to play me on. Uh, I always tell this story almost every single week. I put out a call for a theme song. An hour later, I had one. Mike never charged me a dime. So I gotta give him credit where it's due. So thanks to Michael Cardillo. And we still gotta get Michael on the show at some point. I haven't had him on here yet um so this is one of these uh covering both sides of the ocean shows and every once in a while it just sort of works out this way that you get two guests that are completely diametrically opposed in completely different parts of the world and i dig it because it just shows you you know sort of the magic of the internet and this kind of thing so i've got a filmmaker on from the uk from london in the first half and i've got a 13 year old singer-songwriter on in the second half from new york and i'm based in montreal so there's the triangle for you but uh It's really kind of cool when this kind of stuff happens, and you can't really plan this because I, you know, when I'm scheduling it, I just sort of go on a first come, first served basis. Um, But I digress. My my guest in the first half of the show is Will Nash, and uh, he's uh, based in London, England, which is very high up on my bucket list of places to see, by the way, and I hope to get there next year. Uh, he's got nearly 10 years of uh, uh, experience in filmmaking, both in, in uh, TV and in actual film. And he's now starting to direct music videos and his own films. And his latest project, which I got a chance to see this morning, was just a little uh, fun little piece of nostalgia called uh, Ice Cream. And he's here to talk about that and all the other great stuff that he's working on. So for the first time, it's always great to have somebody on here for the first time. Uh, cutting Room Floor proudly welcomes from London, uh, Will Nash. Will, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Hello. How you so, doing? So the first question I always have for everybody when they're on here for the first time, Will, is uh, a bit of an icebreaker. Did I get all of your bio information right, or is that close enough? Uh, yeah, no, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's been about ten years, I think,
3: since I started off uh, making teas and coffees with people.
2: I got the, mm. uh, I, I got the, uh, I got that off of your website there. That, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fairly accurate. <laughs> I hope it is. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, how, how did you get your start in, in filmmaking then? What was the, I mean, you, you've been at this for a long time, you know, relatively speaking, but, but how did you get started?
3: Uh, oh, you mean like 10 years ago? My very yeah, first yeah exactly,
2: first. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, so, uh, one of my uncles is a, is a doctor, and uh, a, one of his patients came in to visit him with a bad back, and um, cheekily... Uh, while he was trying to sort him out, he said, well, you know, if I sort your, it turned out that this guy was, um, uh, worked in film and TV as a focus puller. Uh, my uncle said, cheekily, you know, if I help you out with your bad back, could you get my nephew some work experience? Um, and
2: it paid off. Really? So, okay. Yeah. No, no, it uh, was uh, one of those who Are you know things. Uh, that... Yeah,
3: it was, uh, um, yeah, it was really nice. The, the guy had a good sense of humor about it. And uh, yeah, it brought me onto a, a TV show um, for about a week um, in, oh God. Many years ago, it was called Prime Suspect. It was the last of the um, Prime Suspect series with Helen Mirren.
2: That was a big show. Yeah, it was. I mean, cool. even over here, that was a big show, right? They. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It was the last. It was the last. Uh, the uh, I can't
3: remember what it was called now. The Prime Suspect, the final act. I think it was called. It was the last in the series.
2: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't actually seen the show myself, but I, I followed it in the um, in the magazines and things like that. But uh, yeah. did you? I mean, what did they have you doing on Prime Suspect?
3: Um, so there wasn't a huge amount when you're doing work experience that you can do because everyone's got such uh, delegated roles, uh, especially filming TV. Um, less so sort of with uh, music videos. Um, so I I was hanging with the camera department for the for the week and uh, we'd make them teas and coffees for the first couple of days. Um, started learning where all the kit would lay out in the truck. Uh, trying to learn different parts of kit. Um, and then towards the end of the week, the camera assistants that are on it will get me to do their sort of report sheets and um, sort of slightly more uh, trickier tasks. So um, they,
2: they brought you in basically, it sounds like uh, somewhat of an apprenticeship so that you could learn the business basically. Yeah, yeah, essentially it is. Yeah, it's, it's, uh,
3: I think definitely with film and TV, it's one of those industries where you learn on the job. Um, it's I, I mean, I studied film at university, but um, I quickly learned after university how... Um, how the degree I had didn't really <laughs> have much impact on what I'm actually doing now. Um, you can go up to people on a shoot and say I've got a you know I've got a film degree and they go that's great. A tea and coffee tables over there, and you know milk and sh- milk and one sugar for me.
2: Yeah, but so, I mean uh, you're, yeah. you're you're there to watch and 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 like you said, learn by osmosis, though, right? Basically, yeah, yeah,
3: definitely. And I think the the quicker you can pick up on things and um, uh, learning the etiquette of you know. What goes on on a shoot? When to talk? When not to talk? Um, yeah, the quicker you kind of learn that, the, the quicker I always find that you can kind of step up the ladder.
2: Yeah, and they, yeah, people trust you to do you know little things and little things turn into slightly bigger things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so what were some of the other series that you've that you've worked on then, and and uh, and in what capacity? Um,
3: so, I then yeah, then moved up to London, uh, started working in TV commercials as a runner. Um, just making it, just looking after everyone, looking after actors, looking after the crew members. Um, and shortly after doing that, I was then kind of getting that niggling feeling that I didn't want to always be making teas and copies for everyone and doing sort of the, the basic tasks all the time. So started just uh, poking away at some of the camera assistants and seeing if they needed any camera trainees um, for any shoots coming up. And uh, it's mainly in TV and film that you'd get a camera trainee. Well, on a commercial, you're only there for maybe a day or two days. So it's not really worth having a trainee. You won't have any time to kind of spend with them. Um, so then went and worked on uh, the last couple of weeks, on. there was a TV series called Spooks, um, the which I think they just made a, a film of it, actually. It was a BBC series, a uh, spy series. Um, fortunately, did, yeah, two weeks on the end of that. And then off the back of that, there's a, a big series on ITV called Benidorm, um, which is filmed in Benidorm in Spain, um, and went over there for three months with the camera team and then, stayed roughly with that same team and just kind of launched my camera uh, career through that.
2: And uh, I guess what was the, the um, you know, you decided recently, fairly recently from the sounds of things to sort of break off on your own and start your own projects, right?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always, when I was a teenager, I always kind of thought I wanted to be a film director. Um, and as I was doing more and more camera work, I always thought, oh no, I want to be a cameraman. So I started, you know, I started trying to work my way up the ladder on that, and uh, and then the last sort of two years, I thought, no, actually, I do, I, I do want to go into film directing, but um, it was coming more and more apparent that you you kind of need a, a back catalogue of work, right? Um, and no one's going to give you any opportunities to do that. You kind of just got to start making those on your own, and then uh, then start trying to put those forward to people. So at the moment, I'm still kind of uh maybe like the early third stage of of that happening um and trying to collaborate with more and more people and trying to get more things going um just so i can kind of uh essential at the moment essentially i think just practice directing um and start learning the craft learning everything that i've learned from being a camera assistant on shoots and seeing big directors do things and then learning how i kind of want to do it myself as well
2: but I mean that's one of those paradoxes, and I, I think that this hits home. I mean, it hits home in a lot of business, a lot of industries, but but specifically in the entertainment business, right? That that there's this paradox about you know getting a job without experience and getting experience without a job.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's complete sort of um, catch twenty two that you can't really, yeah, you, you, it's. You, but you see some people come in straight away uh, and are directing fresh straight out of film school. Uh, And then you see some people who've been working in industry for years and then get into directing with the experience behind them. So I think it's, it's, um, it's again, one of those things of like, who, you know, and who more, I suppose, more importantly, who knows you and who knows that you're up to. What you're up to doing with your directing um and then maybe giving you the opportunity to do something bigger than just short films
2: so so what are the, some of the habits that you find yourself picking up this is you know somebody who's who's learning how to direct for the first couple of projects right like a, you know <laughs> what, what, what kind of things do you see in yourself as you know stylistically as a director what do you like um on
3: set i've kind of realized that the more relaxed you are um the easy because a lot you get a lot of problems when you're shooting, uh, when you're making something. Um, and I think even if you plan everything down to you know to the my most minutest detail, there's still going to be some problems going to rise every day. Um, and some of the my favorite directors that I've worked with uh just seem to be very relaxed as people. Um, And then when things go wrong, they kind of just go, right, okay, we've got a problem. We've got to try and find a solution for this problem. How can we, like, you know, it's better to work with your crew as a team. Um, I suppose like a director in any uh, any industry, you would then kind of rely on the expertise of everyone around you. Um, So, yeah, one of the things I'm trying to keep learning is uh, just how to say relax with everything, really. And um, just kind of slowly try and take things in your stride. And if there's a problem, you just get everyone together and go, right, we've got this problem. We kind of need to solve it. And especially on a short film as well, where there's uh, you haven't got any money um, and you're on a sh- shorter time scale, um, maybe on your shooting day, um, you've then got to come up with solutions even quicker.
2: Well, yeah. And, and I mean, that too, to me is a hallmark of any good leader, right? The the ability to, to maintain poise under pressure, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. You know, people generally gravitate towards people like that. So, OK, you know, this is going right out the goddamn window. But you know, this guy doesn't yeah. seem overly bothered by it. Let's just get past this and move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And you kind of, I mean, it's,
3: I still always find it shocking when I, you know, um, cause I'm still working as a camera assistant on shoots as well as trying to get this, you know, get into directing. And, um, I still find it quite shocking when you, when you see a director sometimes who just hasn't got a clue what's going on and just kind of you know, things start to unravel and it always goes horribly wrong. And then you go into overtime in your day and it's all kind of downward sparrow. Um, so in a way, it's kind of good to see people mess up as well because you kind of see,
1: right, okay, that's not a good route that they went down.
2: Let's avoid that next time. It's not just you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's get in deep with ice cream here. Uh, what are you doing with this little piece?
3: Um, so initially, uh, it was myself and the producer Rhiannon um, end of last year um, decided we should make our own piece. Uh, we worked together... Several times on sort of small promo videos for um, some of the local newspapers over here, they've got like their own editorial content on their websites, Um, and we all thought it'd be fun for us to actually um, collaborate and do something ourselves. Um, So we both kind of met up a few times, had a few ideas of things and different stories that we had, and then instead of trying to pick one story that I had or she had, we thought let's start afresh. Um, One of the things that kept popping up was nostalgia and. Um, sort of reflecting and looking back on things back in the past um, so we thought okay let's try and go off that theme um, and then came up with uh, what it, remembering what it was like when the ice cream man used to arrive in your street as a, as a small boy um, and those feelings of, of how kind of uh, anything that you're kind of going through that day maybe would go out the window because the ice cream man's arrived this magical man with you know this fantastic product you can go and get an ice cream and then your day's kind of perked up
2: no, I mean, I, you know, it was such a simple concept and I, I, I kind of liked what you did with it because, it, you know, I mean, it strikes a nerve with anybody that's actually seen one. And you don't see many ice cream t- trucks around anymore, right? I, I, I was I mean, going to say, yeah. I, I, don't I, I, I don't know what it's like in England, but I mean, I, I can't sure. remember, honestly, the last time I saw one in Canada. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No,
3: it's, it's Um, I, I often kind of wondered what it, because um, we were, when I've started into into uh, short film festivals around the world, um, I, I kind of wonder what the reception would be like in America or in Canada or over there um, and what your guys' experiences with ice cream vans, because um, it's probably because we were working on a film called Ice Cream with an ice cream van that I've, I've just noticed ice cream vans absolutely everywhere, uh, especially in the summer. It's such a big sort of iconic thing, uh, quite a British iconic thing over here. Um, I couldn't, at one point, I couldn't go a day without seeing an ice cream van or someone having an ice cream, especially during the summer.
2: No, I mean, I mean, you're talking to somebody who, like, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have a thing for desserts, but the one thing that will yes. disappear every time you put it down in front of me is ice cream. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice and easy. But, but, no, it, you know, my wife is rolling her eyes at me here, but, uh, oh, <laughs> uh, so I, I guess who came up with the idea? Was this something that, that you came up with or your writer or I, I guess? Uh... Uh, so Rhiannon also wrote the piece. Um,
3: so... Uh, we kind of both came, like she came up with the initial idea of the ice cream van and then uh, wrote out a script. Um, and then we kind of both just collaborated on that, went back and forth and different ideas. Um, there were some scenes that we had which we cut out because we then started trying to develop a tone of the film. Um, in fact, the, the, there's a, there was one scene where the mum gets presented with an ice cream. And uh, I always thought, wouldn't it be funny if the mum came out of a pub um, after a night out? and you know, maybe slightly hazy after a few drinks and the kid presents with an ice cream and kind of cat's her off guard, but... Um,
2: okay, that's a, of, that, you know, that would be a more <laughs> British image, <anyway>. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Um Ice cream, know, ice cream after the pub crawl, you know? But... Yeah, yeah. I think because
3: it was kind of getting more family friendly right? <laughs> going for it, I think then having the mum staggering out of a pub, uh, you know, two in the morning after a Friday night drinking session probably wouldn't be in keeping with everything else.
2: And, and uh, I mean, you have a very you know, good young actor that, that, that is in this, and, and uh, the other people seem really solid, too. How, how did you actually go about putting the team together? Um, so, the Ice Cream Man,
3: Daniel Ings, uh I've worked with quite a lot over the years on various sort of TV programs. Um, and we were working together in uh, Manchester last year for about three months, and uh, we hadn't seen each other for about two or three years, I think, since a, another TV show we were on. And just got on like a house on fire um and we then start chatting about making you know sort of other projects outside of what we're trying to do at work um so i just kept in tabs with him um and then phoned him up and said look we've got this this character of this ice cream van uh ice cream man sorry uh you know sort of a rock and roll star of the ice cream world and he instantly loved it um so that was fantastic uh dion we we cast for um we had a audition session at the spotlight studios in leicester square in london uh and had uh different sort of young boy actors come in um and Dion was one of the ones that just kind of stood out straight away um he'd not done any on film acting before he'd done a lot of uh modeling um for various sort of publications so this was like his first time you know uh, doing proper acting um so that was that was kind of a good opportunity for him but he seemed to kind of pick up on it really well and uh took direction fantastically well um and just kind of knew what we wanted from the start
2: i'm just going to chime in with a little comment here that i'm getting in my uh my chat room well uh, paul reeves is one of my most regular listeners and uh okay. an, an old friend of mine from i don't know if you know him but he's uh, he's based in scotland yes
3: yeah yeah i know paul
2: you know paul okay so here's twitter <laughs> okay all right via twitter all right so uh he's saying that there's um yeah. Yeah. he's saying that there's loads of ice cream vans here in Scotland. Some probably aren't selling ice cream, mind you. Well, you know.
3: Yeah, there was a, <laughs> we were, um, uh, one of the things when we were making it was, uh, how to maybe put like a little twist on it. And there's, I think there's another film out. Um, there was certainly a Welsh film with Rhys Ifans, um, Twin Town, um, that, that they were kind of based in a, in a, a fast food van. Um, and then there's another film that I've heard of, uh, I think based up in Glasgow, where there's ice cream vans not selling ice cream, and it's all about sort of turf wars, and uh, I think they're selling drugs. And um, yeah, it's just uh, then one ice cream van I've heard arrives, legitimately trying to sell ice cream, and it all kind of goes a bit messy. Um, so yeah.
2: <laughs> that would be a uh, Scottish family-friendly story, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The hire
3: company that we used for the um, for the camera equipment, uh, this company 24-7, uh, I went and visited them shortly after we'd finished it, and I was chatting to one of the guys that ran it, and he was saying that um, someone at their company had seen ice cream and thought that the uh, ice cream man was just dealing drugs to the mother. That was the link, link at the end, and I said, no, 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 that's far too dark of, of a twist that we've got going
2: on so i i this you know sort of concept of wide-eyed wonderment of a kid and you know that you know the just little details i was picking up about you know one day i'm going to wear cowboy but it's just like the ice yeah. cream man and you know i mean you know we all remember little incidents like that right yeah but but uh do you think that this is something that that maybe you could extrapolate on to other childhood scenarios like going to a soccer game for the first time or, you know, uh, turning it into, for lack of a better word, a bit of a, a, you know, a web series.
3: Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, I think the thing with the ice cream van is that for myself, certainly when I was a kid, I never remember seeing the ice cream man out of the van. He was always in it. And in fact, even I was at a festival in the summer and there were ice cream vans everywhere and I was kind of wondering when do they go off and grab something to eat or go to the toilet or you never see them out of the van. So there's always kind of like an element of mystery of, you know, you could very well be wearing cowboy boots cause you've never seen an ice cream man's feet before. Um, so I think, yeah, then that could then kind of, uh, go on to other short storylines of kids kind of, um, they've got fantastic imagination. Um, I always think children and, uh, just come up with the most bonkers ideas of how things work and, Sometimes you listen to a child explain how something works when they've never witnessed it before. And they've kind of just got like an interesting twist or an edge to it that you go, well, yeah, that could work.
2: No, and I, and I keep going back to this. I, I took my, uh, my three year old nephew to uh, the movies for the first time uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. I went with my sister, and we walked into the theater, and he couldn't realize that, like, he just couldn't wrap his head around the fact that there was a television that big in the world you yeah. know, looking at the movie screen. He said, no, you know. <laughs>
3: it's brilliant though isn't it like yeah. you
2: just you know some of the ideas that they come up with but um yeah. so the, the, the thing is actually finished right and uh, I, yeah. I I know that you you um, did you face it first of all did you face any unique challenges in, in terms of shooting like uh, you know locations or whatever
3: um the so we shot it over two days uh, the first day we had the ice cream van, just for the one day so um, that was fairly tough in that we had to get everything that had the ice cream van in it done in that day um, and not only that we shot it much so um the daylight hours i don't think it was uh we didn't have as long as you probably would in the summer um so i would imagine it it was getting to sort of half past five six o'clock and it was already getting dark uh so at that point we were only doing the interiors of the ice cream van
2: well that, that's about the same for us uh, you know like uh it doesn't really start to get you know the days don't really start to get longer until the end of march or early april right yeah so, so.
3: Yeah, and so that was kind of a, in a way, a, a, like a problem was having to like rush through. Uh, and But at the same time, you, you don't want to rush it because you want to get everything right. So it's just getting that balance between, okay, how much time can we actually spend on these shots? Uh, and are we going to use them? Um, which we ended up cutting out some of them anyway, because they didn't look quite right with the lighting or certain other aspects.
2: Um, and I understand that you had a fairly uh, decent run. You, you sent it out to a couple of different festivals right
3: yeah it's um, uh, so Winchester short Film Festival uh, it got an official nomination for that um, and that was quite cool because I was I went to university in Winchester so it was nice to go back to the city and uh, one of my old lecturers was on the judging panel um, so good to kind of catch up and see him um, and it was a nice experience to go to a, you know my first film festival with uh, with something to show as opposed to turning up and watching other people's work.
2: Uh, okay, I've got another question for you here and I like this. Uh, yeah. Paul Paul picked up on this and I missed it. I I probably should have noticed this too. But he's uh he's asking he said there's lots of little details all through the film. Uh are there any good question, Paul. Are there any hidden messages in the blackboard math equations? Ah. Um <laughs>
3: not that I can think of this up yet. My um my nephew Luke actually wrote out that blackboard in about ten minutes. Um so if there are that's probably a question for him. I'm going to have to find out, actually, whether or not he's cheekily put anything in.
2: Yeah, Or maybe he's showing off how much he knows, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. And it was impre- like it was impressive how quickly he knocked that up as well. Um, well how old is he? Uh, so he's 16. Recently he was 16. Okay, uh, well, yeah. He was I, I, you 15 know, at the time, so, yeah.
2: I mean, I remember that from high school. You know, I mean, these days yeah. in the education system, you know a lot more about math than you did, right? Okay. Uh, yes, that's true. He's
3: probably, yeah, or the sort of finally applying math to... Uh, to real life scenarios.
2: Uh, I'm just gonna take a quick pause here. Well, I think I've got uh, Amelia Rose on the line. Okay. Amelia? Yes, hello. Hey, it's Casey Ryan here, how are you?
4: I'm doing very well. How
2: are you? I'm doing well. Uh, so I just wanted to introduce you. I got a friend, uh, a guest here uh, from the other side of the ocean. Here, Will Nash is a uh, a filmmaker from London, England, and we've been talking about a uh, a short film that he did called Ice Cream, about a uh, a kid, you know, getting his mind blown by seeing an ice cream truck for the first time. That's awesome. Hi, Amelia. And uh, Well, I, I just wanted to introduce you to Amelia Roselle and she's out in New York and uh, I mean, 13 years old, she's done more than most people have done in a lifetime. She's uh, Yeah, it sounds like it's uh, fantastic. Well, yeah, it's, she's acted on TV and theater and uh, yeah. done anchor work for a news program. And wow. you know, now she's coming up with a book and music and Sweet. all kinds of other crazy stuff. So That's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like constantly be busy. No, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I had that kind of energy when I was 13. I yeah. So, uh, so uh, okay, so, well, the last question I have for you here, and then we're going to take our break, is uh, okay. where can people go to learn more about ice cream or even see it or, or just keep in touch with you, right?
3: Um, so, uh, yeah, ice cream's free uh, to watch on Vimeo at the moment. Uh, there's an ice cream Twitter account at the moment, um, which is at ice cream film. Um. And there's also links through my website, willnashfilms.com, um, if anyone wants to watch any more. Um, there's also details about, uh, there was another film that we did at the end of this year for, uh a company called Blockstop that were making a play and they wanted an introductory film for their play. So we made that at the end of this year. Uh, and there's also details about the uh, next film I'm doing uh, in January next year.
2: Okay. Well, well great. And, and Will, it was uh, it, it was great to meet you. Um, I was proud to have you on. And if you ever want to come back, then you let me know. All right?
3: Yeah, we will do. Thank you very much, Casey. It's been cool, man. No problem. All right. So Enjoyed what we're going to cool. do
2: now, uh, Amelia Rose, if it's okay with you, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but I am going to need your help with this, because what we do at this part of the show is, first of all, I play the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up by Jason Hadley. This is a riff on uh, Celebrity News. Uh, and normally I would play a song, and I'm because you're the musical guest today, uh, we're, we're going to play some of your work. So how would you like to tee up uh, Fallen Stars for us, which is the first one that we're going to play? Sure. So what what can you tell us about Fallen Stars?
4: I, oh, okay. Okay. Um... The song is dedicated to Marilyn Monroe and Judy Garland and Kurt Cobain and basically fallen stars who have already tragically passed away. And um, I was just, I was really impacted by, you know, the death of all of these amazing people. And, um, you know, as a musician, and I'm going to mention this a lot probably, but when I get affected by something, I just, I turn it into music because that's my coping mechanism okay all right. well, yes. well
2: we'll we'll hear more about that but uh okay so a tribute to judy garland and um and Kirk Cobain and who was the last one marilyn monroe Men- marilyn
4: monroe yeah
2: uh, okay all right so we're gonna play fallen stars by amelia rose allen uh again with a quick thank you to uh, to will nash for his time out in the uk and then we'll be yes. back thank you. so amelia uh, rose if you could please just mute yourself for the next five minutes and then we'll yeah. be back to talk with you all right
0: It's the Hollywood and Wrap-Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Justin Bieber was seen jet-setting from London to Miami, stopping for a swim at the mansion formerly owned by the late Gianni Versace. Famous for his designer couture, makeup, and fragrances. Ah, forgive me. I meant owned by the fashionably late Gianni Versace. Opera singer Andrea Bocelli made a surprise visit singing to hedge fund company employees at their recent holiday party. While unclear which operatic piece he sang, it was the one time hedge fund workers didn't mind going Baroque. Baroque, get it? And they said a bachelor's in art history would never come in handy. One of the stars of the tattoo competition series, Ink Masters, was arrested, but allowed to pump enough breast milk for her five-month-old before being taken to jail. The judge will likely give her between 29 and 31 months so she knows how everyone else feels when new moms do that to us. <laughs> and that's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up. Follow us on Twitter, at Rockin' Wrap-Up. Mm.
2: Did you guys hear that? (laughs) Unbelievable! Thank you. Unbelievable! Great big fat sound. She had a great drummer behind her. I listen to that because that's my kind of my thing. I like that. Uh, fallen stars by Amelia Rose Allen. Holy cow! All right. Uh, So I'm proud to have her on the show. Uh, With a quick thank you to uh, Rose Tamburino Duches, uh, aka dear old mom. All right. uh, Who reached out to me out of the blue and I love it when this happens because it means that somebody out there is listening to me and I just got an email on Facebook there saying would you you know think about having my daughter on the show she's uh, she's coming up with some music lately so uh, Amelia Rose Allen is uh, is on the show in the second half, and um, I always like to have young people on the show. It may sound cliche, but I, I like to think of it as getting a glimpse of the future of the entertainment business, because quite frankly, I never know you know which one of these young people I'm going to be able to point to years from now when no I'm older or greater than I am right now, and I'll be able to say, you know, I knew, him when, or knew her when she was only however years old. So... Uh, She's a prolific actress in TV and theater, Uh, she's done voiceover work, she's also uh, a news anchor for an Emmy Award winning program that's syndicated on 200 stations nationwide, uh, and a singer-songwriter, and she's writing a book, and she's done all of this, Amelia, how old are you, 34, 35? 13. (laughs) 13. God almighty. Um, so all I can say is I, you know, I wish I had this kind of energy at that age, and I applaud anybody that does, and she's an honor roll student too. Uh, so it's, that's worth highlighting as well. Uh, so one doesn't come at the expense of the other kiddies. Uh, making her Cutting Room Floor debut, Cutting Room Floor proudly welcomes for the first time uh, Amelia Rose Allen, and hopefully not the last based on the strength of that performance alone. So, how are you? No pressure, by the way.
4: <laughs> Thank right? you. I'm doing very well, and I'm so happy to be here, and I'm really excited.
2: So, the first question I always have for everybody is a bit of an icebreaker when when you're on here for the first time, but I, did I get your introduction right, or is that close enough?
4: Yeah, no, it's perfect. You okay. got it right on the dot. <laughs> okay, good,
2: good. All right. I, I get it wrong once in a while. So, um, I guess, you know, I mean, you've done so much, right? So, I, I guess if I can sort of boil this down a little bit, what part of it came first like was it the acting was it the music because uh, I, I know that your your, your family has a, a fairly you know rich history in music too right
4: yeah well i've always had a very strong passion for music and justice in general i guess um but there was a point in time where i wanted to be a broadway actor but you know there's this weird thing on broadway they always say like you can't be too tall to play a kid once you're like five feet or something. And I was always a pretty tall person. I mean, now I'm like average size, I guess. But, um, so once that kind of happened and I wasn't really booking anything on Broadway necessarily, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna write a song about this. And I picked up a guitar that I'd gotten for my ninth birthday and I wrote a really cheesy song and it was called Sidewalk. And it was basically about how I was like, really done with not booking anything. Um, but yeah, I, was, I would say that that's when I really started realizing that that was what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to write music and express how I felt. And yeah, I think that's pretty good.
2: Now, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you point out the uh, the Broadway thing because I'm a first of all, I'm a huge fan of musical theater. Right? I, I love it. I, we don't get as much of it as I, I hope we would up in in Montreal. But my wife and I drive down to Toronto once in a while to see it. But, but uh, I mean, that to me would almost be a, a perfect way for you to combine both acting and the music, right? That, that you, you have to lean heavily on both, right?
4: Well, yeah. Yeah, it was something, that's probably what I liked most about it was that I could, like, be a different person, but I could also stay myself through the music of it. But, you know, there's, like, all this politics when you get into it. And, like, you know, the same few people tend to get the roles and... I did a lot of regional theater and um, like professional regional theater that was really fun and I enjoyed doing it. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that in the past few years or so um, before I really started becoming very serious about my music, um, I was just kind of dabbling in the songwriting world. And I don't know, I think it just made so much sense with what my parents do for a living that, you know, this is something I have a shot with rather than, you know, like the Broadway kids, for example, they had their parents were actors or their parents were Broadway directors. My parents are music people, and I don't know. I just think it made sense. You know what I mean?
2: I I, I knew your father was. I, I, your mother is in the uh, in the business too, is she? Or is she a singer as well?
4: Well, yeah, she was. She was actually in a wedding band when she was um, in her twenties. But then she was a radio host, uh, and she, for WOR radio, and so she has all those connections to like radio and stuff
2: i guess okay no I, I didn't realize that i you know so you, you learn a lot during the course of this so just excuse me for a second <coughs> sorry i'm fighting off the flow here so um now I, I know that one of the uh the tipping points for you that, that uh, in the process of doing my homework here was that at one point your father took you to um you mentioned your your activism stuff right but um the, there was a moment where you got taken to some kind of amnesty international concert is that possible
4: Yes, um, my dad actually for Christmas or for my birthday—I don't really remember which one—but he got me tickets to see Amnesty International uh, a concert that they were putting on, and Imagine Dragons was there, Madonna was there, Pussy Riot was there, um, the one of the Beatles, his wife, I don't Yoko oh. Yoko Ono, she was there, um, and like it was just all of these, all of these people who are really passionate about human rights and. That was also one of the moments for me where I think I was just like, you know, you can do more than just write love songs, you can do more than just on stage dance, you can have meaning behind what you're doing. And I thought that was really cool. And I learned a lot that day. And that was definitely one of the starts for me to express how I feel about society and how inequality. Yeah.
2: Well no but I mean you, you touch on something important right that that you know people you know kind of forget that once in a while that, that something like music can be a very powerful tool for a movement right that yeah. you know that you know intentionally or unintentionally songs can become anthems for causes and and you know become a, you know a key point in terms of where the the movement is going right
4: definitely
2: so do you see yourself? You know, years down the line, or something like that. That that uh, activism of any cause. And I know that you're into to animal rights as well. Like, like does that is that something that appeals to you to uh, to incorporate that and volunteer work and that kind of thing?
4: Yes, I um, <clears throat> for my birthday this year, which is actually coming up. I instead of like getting presents and stuff. I'm just going to be taking money from my family and my friends and putting it towards, um, there's an animal sanctuary for factory farmed animals in like, uh, Rochester or something. And um, that's where the money is going to go. So we can help, help the animals that can be saved from factory farming, I guess.
2: And and I understand this is uh, something that you've taken to heart, right? In terms of a lifestyle choice.
4: Yeah. I've been vegan for almost 10 months now and um it's it's really difficult but I think just with anything when you're impacted by any sort of cause whether it's like um dogs in shelters or cats in shelters or you know um factory farmed pets like the pets that come out of dog puppy mills or something I think with anything once you get passionate about it it doesn't seem like a choice anymore you just you kind of feel like it's part of your life like if I were to go back to eating cheese or something I would feel extremely guilty not because I know what's happening behind closed doors but because I wouldn't be able to deal with myself does that make any sense I feel like it doesn't
2: no no it makes perfect sense that that, uh, I mean you've taken a stance you're sticking with it and 10 months is not you know, a fling, I mean, that that's a lot longer than most people go, it's certainly a, a, a heck of a lot longer than I could go without eating meat, but, but uh, you know, I, I, it makes complete sense, and I, 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 you must be getting used to the diet by now, I would think, right?
4: Yeah, um, I actually, I go to a boarding school, so sometimes food isn't really that easy to <laughs> deal with, but the chefs are, they're helping, and they're trying to figure out
2: what to do. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that, that's got to be challenging too though when you're in an environment where they're they're cooking for you know probably hundreds of people that that you know trying to make an exception for everybody's dietary restrictions is you know i mean you can accommodate to an degree but you know you can't be all things to all people too i would imagine an environment like that um okay so we're going to take another break here uh so i'm going to play another track by you Okay, and okay. Um, what can you tell us about uh, Fly Away is the uh, the name of the second one that uh, that I was sent?
4: Fly Away is a song I wrote, and it's about, it's about kind of when you're in a place that you're not really sure if you're going to get out of, but, you know, you always have maybe that friend or two friends who are by your side the whole time, and no matter what you do, they're always there for you. And, oh, that rhymed. Oh, I'm really proud.
2: <laughs> now, now uh, is this part of an album that you're going to be launching, or that has been launched, or? Th- um,
4: I- yeah, we're working on an EP or uh, an album, and it should be out probably by next summer. We don't have specific dates yet, but um, I actually I've put together a band, and um, we're gonna we're playing out more now. We actually had our first gig yesterday, and we actually we played Fly Away. So.
2: That was really cool. So okay, where where was the gig? We can get it and plug for this since it was just just yesterday. I mean, this is cool.
4: It was at Ramblers Rest.
2: Okay. All right.
4: Monroe, New York.
2: Okay, great. Right. All right, so we're gonna play we're gonna play Fly Away uh, again by uh, Amelia Rose Allen, and then we'll be back with a, a few more words from her. So Amelia, if you could, Amelia Rose, I should say, if you could, uh, please just mute yourself up again. All right.
4: Yes, of course. Thank you.
1: Stop.
2: And another great piece by uh, Amelia Rose Allen, and uh, that one had a different feel to it. That was cool. It showed a little bit of your versatility there.
4: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All
2: right. So I I got a cool question for you, right? Um, and again, this was something that, that uh, was sent to me. I, I understand that you recently got tapped to, to sing the Star Spangled Banner at a Rangers game.
4: Yeah. Right?
2: Uh, you looking forward to that?
4: I'm looking forward to that, like, a lot. It's going to be really fun.
2: You a hockey fan?
4: So many people honestly a little bit I kind
2: of, okay yeah uh, no, it's okay to say on the show i'm from montreal so <laughs> if you're not a hockey fan you're pretty much an outsider up here right <laughs> so uh I, I guess the you know the question i'll ask for you i mean you know, madison square garden is uh i mean that's a huge place right yeah. so have <laughs> you sang in front of that many people before
4: no i haven't oh not as much as Madison Square Garden at least
2: no but I mean some of the theaters that you're saying must have been uh, must have been fairly big too though right but no yeah. not on that scale right not on
4: that scale not on that scale <laughs>
2: you, you nervous at all
4: I've got some some pre-show jitters even though it's like two months away
2: okay I understand they haven't really actually hit, you know firmed down a date for that yet right
4: I don't think so. I don't think there's a specific date yet, but when we get one, we'll let you know. Well,
2: yeah, please, because you know they they you know hopefully it'll be against the Habs and I'll be able to watch the game, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, okay, um, who are some of your your biggest influences musically?
4: Um, I think some of my biggest influences are St. Vincent, um, Haley Williams, Imagine Dragons, as I mentioned before and
2: Fallout Boy. I think those are... Fall Out Boy? Okay, all right. Yeah. No, That's a that's a big variety too, right? And, uh, yeah. Uh, who... I mean, it
4: goes from like St. Vincent, which is very unique and different, and I really like the tones that she uses and how open her voice is and how she doesn't use autotune. I think that it's really important that we still have artists like that
1: today.
2: Okay, now I'm going to ask a question as an outsider because I'm not familiar with autotune. Uh, is this you know what what can you tell us about it and what what are your thoughts on it?
4: Autotune is basically a way that they computerize your vocals to make them sound on pitch and you know so basically singers who can't sing they use autotune to make themselves sound like they can sing, but I don't it just it eliminates a certain uniqueness that everyone has to their voice and it just takes away certain tones that you could barely notice sometimes but they make the slightest difference but sometimes in the long run it can make a big difference and um, my opinion's on it are that if you can't sing you shouldn't you shouldn't,
2: shouldn't rely you on should
4: try to embrace the fact like i don't know i feel like autotune is such is such a way to be just like everyone else and just fit into a mold that i don't think why fit into a mold when you could buy some Buy some plaster and make your old, make your own mold. I guess.
2: So don't rely on the anti-suck button. No. <laughs> no, I mean that, that's that's cool. I, I didn't know that that stuff like that existed, but uh, you know, I mean, you, you raise an interesting point that that, that you know, there's only one you, right? And and yes. I mean, if you're not talented enough to make it on your own, then then you know why are you in the business in the first place? Mind you, you got to let people dream too, I guess, right? right.
4: Like, one of my favorite singers, personally, is Ellie Goulding, and um, just because she has such a uniqueness to her voice, and I think that if she were to, I guess, overdose on autotune, it would just take away all that uniqueness that she has, and, like, I mean, some people, they only know, like, her popular songs, like Lights, where she does use more autotune than on her other songs, but... I don't know, if you Google her acoustic sets, they're just, they're amazing and they're breathtaking because she has so much uniqueness. And I don't know, I just feel like if people use auto-tune, they, they're just, like I said, they're eliminating that uniqueness and it doesn't make sense to me.
2: <laughs> no, and, and to me, like I, the first question that would come to my mind then is, is how do you compensate for that during an actual concert? right if you're if you're relying on on software to I won't say fudge, but I'll say smooth out the edges right mm-hmm. you yeah. know, how, how do those edges get consistently smoothed out or do they feed them through the microphone or like you know is Autotune used at live performances i I guess what do you do there
4: There are like certain programs you can attach to your microphones and the systems you attach your microphones to that can put a pitch correcting. Auto tune type sound on into through your speakers when you're playing at a concert, but I don't I don't think it sounds nearly as similar as the auto tune. Uh, um, I don't think because I've seen it. a couple of couple of artists that have done that. I've seen them live, and you know it's just it's really disappointing because you go to see the live show because you want to see them live, not exactly how they sound on the record. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a you know it's a magical moment, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, now I, I want to call this out because I, I, am familiar with the place. And again, this is another one of the places on my bucket list, but the, um, the, uh, the bitter end actually gave you quite the distinction recently.
4: It did. And, uh, we had a wonderful turnout. Like, I think there were like 60 to 65 people that showed up and, uh, we had the whole room was packed. It was probably one of my best gigs that I've done because everyone was so attentive and they were listening to me talk about the songs and that was, it was amazing. And the, the place in general, the, the um, building was really beautiful and it was really cool.
2: It's launched a lot of careers that place.
4: And what? It says
2: launched a lot of careers that place.
4: Yes. Yes.
2: And they, they they gave you the distinction of being artist of the month or something like that. And you were the youngest person to get it.
4: Yeah. I was the youngest person to get the artist of the month award.
2: I mean, that must have been exciting for you, too, right?
4: It was really cool, I mean, to think about how long that that place has been opened and yeah the, how fa- the, artist the, the of the month they've probably no, had.
2: no, and the faces that have been through there right i I yeah. mean you know at one point you had every major name in the business going through that place right 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 um okay we're we're starting to wrap up here but but uh i i I would be amiss if I didn't mention uh I understand that you're also trying to write a book right
4: right, that's true.
2: Okay, so what can you tell us about, uh, about that project?
4: Um, it's called The Life of Jude, and it's a novella in progress that I've been writing for probably a year and a half now. Um, and the story is about a boy around the age of 17 and his struggles with family issues, friends, bullying, and the dangers of drug and, uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, the book is dedicated to a family friend that I used to know named Justin who died of a heroin overdose at the young age of 17. Okay. And I'm hoping that Jude's story can help to educate others. I hope to transform the life of Jude into a film in the next few years. I'm working with my school on that, um, and I think the screenplay should be ready probably by the end of next year. And that's where I—that's what I plan to do with that.
2: So no shortage of work for you. What I said? No shortage of work for you. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, uh, what can I tell you, Amelia Rose? This has been a lot of fun. Okay, and I mean that sincerely, and, and uh, you know, please thank your, your mother for getting in touch with me, and I, I'd certainly be proud to have you back anytime that you want to come on, okay? And I'm going to you. share your stuff around with a few other shows that I know that, that deal with music a little bit more than I normally do, all right?
4: Thank you so much. This has been so much fun.
2: Okay, so the last question that I always have for everybody, I want to make sure you get in a good, solid promotion for all of your websites, your YouTube feed, your Twitter handle, just floor is yours, where can people go to learn more about you?
4: Um, my website is ameliaroseallen.com. I have Twitter, which is Amelia Allen. Um, my Instagram is Amelia Rose Music. And my band's Instagram is at QNTIC. And I, oh, and it's pronounced Antic, but it's spelled with a Q because it's cool. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Um, but yeah, so that's where you can find me mostly. And my YouTube is Amelia Rose Allen as well and uh, thank you so much for having me i've had a great time
2: okay well enjoy the rest of your afternoon all right and 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 again if i can do anything to help you then you let me know all right
4: thank you so much
2: okay all right so that's going to about do it for us today Uh, again on behalf of my guests amelia rose allen and will nash with a quick nod to uh jason hadley um, and to uh rose tamarino duches who have been listening to casey ryan on the cutting room floor we'll talk to you guys the same time next week cut print wrap and i am done (laughs)
1: That was another edition of the Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB. And on Facebook, the Cutting Room Floor.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.